Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trinity Sermons. Here at Trinity Church Streetsville, we want to share with you sermons that inspire and encourage you in your faith journey, as together we are learning to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. Now, this is episode two of our sermon series, Live in the Dream. And today, Rob Perkins will be with us, where we are continuing our journey through the story of Joseph and learning about how to manage life when life is less of a dream, but more of a nightmare. And before we begin, we'd like to invite you to follow our podcast, check us out on social media, and please visit our website at trinitystreetsville.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy. God bless. Good morning, everyone. I am reading today from Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 36. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it and whether, to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. 
No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you know, when I was uh, holding little Ainsley there this morning, I, uh, I couldn't help but think back to the days when we used to uh, tuck our own children into bed and how uh, sweet it was just to kind of cozy them up and, and, and tuck them in and, and maybe read them a little story and say a prayer with them. And then, then as you walk out of the room, you, you turn off the light and you, you turn around and you say, sweet dreams, sweet dreams, little one. You know, why do we... Why do we say sweet dreams? Why do we do that? I think the reason is, is because we know that not all dreams are sweet and that sometimes the dreams we dream are actually bad dreams. Uh, Sometimes we, in fact, dream uh, nightmares. And uh, I should say it's not just children who struggle with dreaming nightmares. Adults as well have some really bad dreams with regularity. So here is a quick question to just kind of get us started. How many adults do you think report having a nightmare at least once a year? How many adults have a nightmare once a year? Take a moment, just turn to one or two people around you. Try to think what your answer is to this question. How many adults have a nightmare once a year? All right, let's do a little show of hands here. How many would say A, 15%? Nobody, nobody. How many would say B, 25%? I see that hand, thank you. Two, two of you. How many would say 55%, just over half of us? Yep, yep. How many would say 85%? Oh, D, everybody thinks it's D, and you know what? You're correct. It's very interesting. In fact, I'll just tell you some other fun facts about nightmares, and that is that women have more nightmares than men. And, and those over the age of 70 have more nightmares than those under the age of 70. And actually, during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was this thing going around, which was called the COVID nightmare. I'm not sure what that was or what it was about, but if you think about it, that means if you're a woman and you're over the, the age of 70, then during the pandemic, you were probably having like nightmares every single night. You were probably like a nightmare machine, right? I, when I think about nightmares, for me, I think there's, there's four main categories of nightmares, four kinds of nightmares. The first nightmare, you find yourself in a scary place right? You're walking down a dark alley. You're in a haunted house or you're in a creepy basement. It was just a couple weeks ago. I had a dream. I won't call it a nightmare, but I had a dream that I was in an abandoned asylum, right? That's a scary place to be. I don't know what that dream meant either. But, but the second kind of nightmare you can have is not just that you're in a scary place, but you find yourself in a frightening predicament, right? Your, your car breaks down and you, you don't know what to do. Your, your house is on fire. Or one of the most common frightening predicaments is that you show up to school and you realize that you forgot to put on any clothes, right? That, have you, you've probably had that one, right? The third kind of nightmare uh, that you can have is what we might call deadly peril. You're being chased. You're being attacked. You're falling or you're drowning. You're drowning. And then the, the fourth kind that you can have is where you're going through some kind of agonizing pain. You, you're suffering an injury, illness, or even death. Some people dream dreams of their own death. It has been shown that the pain center of our brain can actually be activated during an especially vivid nightmare, which means that your nightmares can actually cause you to feel pain. 
Why does this happen? Well, I mean, we don't have to go into all the details. There's a bunch of different reasons why we have nightmares, everything from stress. Some people say some of the, the diet, what we eat, medications, uh, traumatic events. Many people with PTSD, actually, their nightmares are just are replaying some especially traumatic events that they suffered earlier on in their life. Wow, Rob, you're probably saying, what the heck? This is a kind of a, a creepy way to start a sermon. Why are we talking about nightmares? Well, the reason we're talking about nightmares is we're doing this teaching series uh, for a, a few weeks uh, called Living the Dream. Living the Dream. And of course, when you hear someone say, I'm living the dream, uh, what does that mean? It, you know, if someone said, Rob, how are you? And I said, I'm living the dream. What it means is I'm doing great. Life is going along in a great direction. Everything's happening as it should. I'm living the dream. And that's why we kind of had these t-shirts printed and you guys got little notepads last week and, and all that stuff. But here's what we got to talk about today. Let's be honest. Often life is not a dream. And often when we think about our life, it's certainly not a sweet dream. It's more like a bad dream. And what do you do? What do you do when life actually becomes not a dream, but a nightmare? When you find yourself in a scary place, you're like, how did I end up here? I don't want to be here. Well, how did I get in this situation? Or you find yourself in a frightening predicament. Uh, you know, you're trapped. There's a crisis. You, you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what's coming. Or you find yourself facing some kind of deadly peril in your life. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's the loss of, of a loved one or something like that. Or you find yourself suffering agonizing pain. When those things happen in our life, we are not living the dream. Instead, it's a living hell. We are living a nightmare. And when that happens in our life, one of the hard questions that comes to our mind, and I think you probably know this, is you would say, well, why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering this way? Whose fault is it? Is it my fault? Is it somebody else's fault? Is that why these things are happening to me? Or, 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 is it God's fault? Right? Because, because listen, isn't God in control of everything? And if I'm going through this problem, this pain, this predicament, this, this peril in my life, then surely God could have prevented that so it doesn't the blame ultimately end up on God? Have you ever, have you ever been in that moment in your life where you're like, God, what are you doing? doing? What is going on? If you've ever been there, and I dare say most of us have, then you probably can connect really well with the story of Joseph. Joseph, as we learned last week, was a dreamer. He was a big-time dreamer, but, but today we see how Joseph's dream descends into a nightmare. Last week, we learned how Joseph dreamt that he was going to be a leader. He was going to be a ruler. Everybody was going to bow down to him. He had great dreams of grandeur, but now we see it's all turned into a gigantic nightmare and it's the worst kind of nightmare because if you look at Joseph's story, all four types of nightmares are blended together in his story. In Joseph's story, you'll see he finds himself in a scary place in a frightening predicament facing deadly peril and agonizing pain. All of it coming together. It's the perfect storm. So we're gonna look through Joseph's nightmare and see what we can learn. Maybe there's something we can learn here that help us as we struggle through our own bad dreams, the bad dreams of our life. Let's start with the very first piece of his nightmare. Joseph finds himself in a very scary place. What do I mean by that? Well, let's read the text again here. It says, now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem, and Jacob, Joseph's father, said, Joseph, as you know, the boys are down there. They're grazing the flocks near Shechem, so I want you to go down. I want to send you down there. Now, Let's just get a little context here. Actually, Jacob was world famous 
rancher. He was a world-famous shepherd. His flocks grew and grew and grew so much so that he couldn't even keep all the sheep and goats in that valley in Hebron anymore. So he had to start sending the flocks to different places to graze. And one of the places he ends up sending them is 50 miles down the road to a place called Shechem. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, Shechem was a very, very scary place. Let me tell you why. Years earlier, when Joseph's family had been traveling by Shechem, the men of Shechem uh, raped Joseph's sister, Dinah. You can read about that earlier on in Genesis. It was a horrible, horrible thing. It, it caused great anguish everywhere. But two of Joseph's brothers say, we're going to take matters into our own hands. And so one night, you know what they did? They drew their swords and they slipped into the village of all the Shechemites and they slit the throats of all of the men. At least the Bible tells us all of the men of Shechem. They, they killed them all. It was an absolute bloodbath. And when, and when the father realized what these two sons had done, they were like, do you realize what you've done? You've, you've, this is very, very dangerous for us now because there's so many Shechemites and they have friends and they have neighbors and if they all team up against us, we're done for. We're totally outnumbered. So, so Joseph and his brothers and his father, they all had to gather up and they had to scoot out of Shechem and go find another place to live. And, and you gotta believe, you gotta believe the Shechemites had never forgotten that moment. Surely they're still furious with Jacob and his boys for what they did. Surely they're looking for revenge. And so when dad says, hey, Joseph, I'd like you to go on a long journey, 50 miles from here, alone, as a 17-year-old boy, I want you to go alone to Shechem. I imagine Joseph kind of went gulp, right? Because this is the stuff nightmares are made of. If it were me, I would have said, dad, no way. Sorry, too scary. I wouldn't even go into the basement as a kid. I was so scared of that. I'm not going to go 50 miles to uh, our arch enemy's, you know, village. So he says, but that's not Joseph. Joseph is way more courageous, way more brave than me. He went, he went. And it gets even scarier. I'll tell you why it gets even scarier. Because when Joseph actually gets to Shechem, he looks around and his brothers aren't there. He's like, oh my gosh, where are they? They're not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in Shechem. And I bet his mind said, oh my gosh, the Shechemites. The Shechemites have got them. They're probably all dead or they're being tortured. They're all captured and tied up somewhere. And I'm next, he probably thought. And then this creepy guy starts coming through the field and he's like, hey, little boy, what are you looking for? And, and he's like, oh, I'm just looking for my brothers. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And, and actually the guy turns out to not be that creepy. And I took a huge amount of license. He's probably a really great guy. Probably a great Dothanite or a, a great Shechemite fella. I don't know. But anyways, he says, actually, no, they, they went on a little further. I saw them. They went on to this other town called Dothan. Dothan. Okay. So if I were Joseph again, I would say, okay, all right. I did what my dad said. Dad said, go to Shechem, check up on your boys, check up on the boys, see what they're up to. I did that. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell them what I did. But no, Joseph's better than me, probably better than you too. He said, no, I'm going to keep on going. I'm not just going to go to this, to this dark, uh, dangerous place, but I'm going to go to this distant place, 25 miles further to Dothan to look for my brother. So listen, it's a scary place. It's a scary place he finds himself in, right? And I just wonder if part of the, if, you're, if your life is like a bad dream in any way, is it partly because you find yourself in a place that you just don't want to be, right? I don't want to be in this relationship. I don't want to be in this job. I don't want to be in this school. I don't want to be in this program. How did I end up with friends like this? How did I end up alone? I don't fit in. I want to go home. I think we've that, that, those are scary thoughts. Those are scary places 
to be. But somehow Joseph, I don't know how, he pushed through and he kept on going. But that was only the first part of the nightmare. It wasn't just that he faced a scary place. Now he faces a frightening, frightening predicament. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, you remember, last week, last week we learned that from time to time, what Joseph would do is he would see his brothers doing something they shouldn't be doing, misbehaving, and he would bring back word or bring back a bad report to his father to say, dad, this is what my brothers are all doing and go punish them or something like that. So what this tells us though is that two things. One, Joseph's brothers were often up to no good. And secondly, Joseph would often rat them out. So this puts Joseph in a very frightening predicament because these guys were bad news. You don't mess with these guys. A quick read through Genesis 30 to 40, and you will see time. And again, these guys are guilty of multiple crimes. I wrote a few down. Wholesale slaughter, incest, murder, jealousy, kidnapping, lying, adultery, prostitution, really bad judgment. In fact, in in Genesis 39, you can read about one of Joseph's brothers, Judah. And uh, he decided he was going to have his daughter-in-law killed uh, executed because he found out that she was pregnant outside of marriage. And so they're, they're getting ready to burn her to death when he finally realizes, oh, wait a second, I'm the father of that child. I had sex with her. That's my child. Oh, that's right. That's right. Put the fires out. We're not going to burn her after all. I mean, these were horrible, horrible guys. Like what kind of, you can't make this stuff up, right? This was a frightening, frightening predicament. These are frightening people that Joseph finds himself around. But what added to that predicament was that they obviously hated Joseph. So, you know, Joseph, there was tension between them and his brothers. He was a snitch. He was Jacob's favorite. And so here's the predicament. Here's the predicament. Joseph has a bunch of brothers who already hate him with a passion, and he's being sent to go visit them far, far away from home where dad can't see, and they've been quiet for a long time. In fact, that's why dad sent him. They've been quiet a long time, and when you know, you know when kids are quiet for a long time, they're usually up to no good, and so, and so they're, they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, and he puts himself into this predicament, right? Why? Why did he throw himself into this predicament? He's courageous. He's courageous, more courageous than me. And maybe the reason why your life right now feels like it's this bad, bad dream is that you, like Joseph, you find yourself in this frightening predicament. You don't know what to do, you you know, right, wrong, yes, no. Maybe maybe your career right now is in a frightening moment. Maybe your marriage right now is is hanging on a thread. I mean, you feel trapped or vulnerable or helpless or hopeless, and, and you don't know what to do next, and you don't know what's coming next, and and, and I think that's exactly how Joseph felt as he proceeded through this dream that became a nightmare. But more than that, it keeps on going, right? It wasn't just that he was going to a scary place or a frightening predicament, but he experienced this deadly, deadly peril. Even before Joseph gets there, his brothers have decided to kill him. But when they saw him in the distance, they said, here comes that dreamer. They said to one another, come now, let's kill him and let's throw him into one of these cisterns. Hey, it says that they saw Joseph from a distance and they recognized him. How could they know it was Joseph from such a far away away? The coat, right? He had that multicolored coat on. Oh my gosh, that thing. You can see it a mile away. It must be Joseph. And so this is not like involuntary manslaughter. This is premeditated murder. They are going to kill this guy when he shows up. And so they decide to kill him and they decide to throw him into one of the cisterns that were kicking around there. Now, this is what cisterns looked like in the ancient world where we're talking about. You can see it had a very narrow neck on the top and then it kind of went out like this at the bottom, which means that if you were thrown 
thrown into one of these things, there was no way you were climbing out of it, right? It was a death trap. In fact, I was doing some research, and I found out that in the area where they think Dothan was, archaeologists have unearthed cisterns like this. And get this, some of the cisterns have had skeletons in them, right? So I'm telling you, these things are a death trap. There was no question. The plan was to kill him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him in to the cistern. We're told the cistern was empty, there was no water in it, but it didn't matter. This was the end, right? What a nightmare. And here's the most callous bit of all. We're told that after they had done this, the brothers sat down to have a meal. They sat down to eat, right? So here, here, can you imagine? Here comes Joseph, grab him, strip him of his clothes, beat him up a bit, throw him in this cistern, put the rock over the top, and now, hey guys, what do you want to have for lunch? What do you sit down, right? He's screaming. He's screaming, guys, let me out. Please don't kill me. Da, 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 da. And they're like having a sandwich. These, I don't understand how. These guys are so cold and callous and heartless, right? In fact, we know if you go on and read, let's just skip ahead for a moment. If you go on further in the story, later on when Joseph actually confronts his brothers, we find out that, yeah, they heard him screaming. And, and they say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Not nice guys. Not nice guys. Eventually, they say, oh, I got an even better idea. Let's sell him. Let's sell him and make some money from his life. And these merchants come by, and they pull Joseph out of the cistern, and they sell him for 20 shekels of silver, which you might be like, how much is that? It's not a lot. I think I want to say it's something like 50 or $250. It's not a lot of money. They sold him. And friends, this is the stuff that nightmares are absolutely made of. Attacked, threatened with death, thrown into a well, sold as a slave. I hope you never face deadly peril like this in your life. But I know some of you have, actually. There are some of you Many have come to Canada from other countries and you have fled violence. Uh, you, you've, you've had to run for your life. And maybe some of your family members are still back there and they're, they're hiding for their life. Or maybe some of those family members have even perished in the deadly peril that they faced. Others of you, you're facing a different kind of deadly peril. You got a diagnosis. The doctor told you something and, and it doesn't look good. Or you've been through an accident. You survived an accident, but just barely. Yeah, you say, Rob, I've never been thrown into a cistern, never been thrown into a pit, but I know what it feels like to be almost dead and buried, to have your dream turn into a nightmare. And that means you probably also know this fourth aspect of a, of a nightmare. You know what it's like to have agonizing pain. Joseph's nightmare, I mean, Joseph suffered agonizing pain. Good grief. He was sold, taken to Egypt. He was a slave, separated and isolated from his family for 30 years. That is a lot of suffering and pain. But he wasn't the only one. Everybody suffered as a result of this horrible nightmare. His own father, we read, suffered greatly. Then when he found out that his boy was dead, when the brothers came back and said, look, a wild animal must have eaten him. We read that, that Jacob tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he mourned for his son. He refused to be comforted. He said, I'm going to mourn until the day I die, until the day I join my son in the grave. This boy, my boy, my boy, my favorite little boy. He's no longer with me. He's been taken from me. And, and you know what? 30 years later, he is still mourning every day for the loss of his son. And I know 
There are even some of you here, and uh, you know what that kind of pain feels like. It is the bad dream that you can never, ever forget. But I wonder if those who suffered the most pain in this story weren't the brothers themselves. Because if you read between the lines, it means that day after day they watched their father and they saw their father's pained face and they knew what they had done to hurt him and, and that memory would never go away. Joseph's tortured face, they could never forget that. The sound of his blood-curdling screams from the well or as the merchants took him off to Egypt. You see, they could not forget that. It haunted them for the rest of their life, I am sure. And, and that's the thing about pain. Yeah, sure, some of us suffer pain because of things others have done to us, but sometimes our pain is a result of things we have done to hurt others, and it haunts us, those skeletons in the closet, they just never go away every day. It's a different kind of bad dream, but it's still a bad dream, it's still full of pain. So there you go, the perfect storm of a nightmare and I just wonder, if you, if you look at this, where do you see yourself in this at all today? Maybe you'd be like, Rob, total sweet dreams over here. I'm living the dream. And I, you know, we're all like, amen, God bless you. Go for it. You, you live your best life. But there's others of us who are like, you know what? Yeah, uh, I had a sweet dream. It became a bad dream. I'm going through a dark place right now. Are you in a scary place? Do you find yourself in a frightening predicament? Right? Are you facing some peril? Are you coping? Are you coping with some pain? If so, you're probably asking those questions again, right? Whose fault is it? Whose fault? Right? You could say some of this was Joseph's fault. I mean, he was a bit of a braggart. He was a showboat and he was a snitch, a tattletale. So we can probably blame him to a point. And maybe there are things in your life that you actually have done that have led to some of the pain that you're experiencing now. So yeah, maybe, maybe some of it is our fault. But certainly a lot of the fault and the blame falls at the feet of Joseph's brothers in the story. They were horrible, horrible people. They were bad apples, bad to the core. They and you maybe uh, blame other people in your life for the suffering that you're experiencing right now. And that certainly happens. But then there's the God question, right? I come back to that one. Is it God's fault? Surely Joseph could have said, God, this is your fault. God, you could have delivered me from this. God, you could have saved me from this at any time. Couldn't God have intervened in Joseph's life? Couldn't God have intervened in your life? Saved you from that place, that predicament, that peril and that pain? Why didn't he? Right? This is the question of suffering. It would take a million sermons to even begin to scratch at why good things happen to bad people, why we suffer, and where is God in the midst of it all? So we're not going to get there today, but I want to show one piece of this story that might shed just a glimmer not always, but a glimmer that might explain some of the nightmare, and that is this other P word, providence. Could it be that in our bad dreams or nightmare of a life that we're living, that actually God is doing something behind the scenes, something that we do not know? That's providence. Providence. Think about it this way. Think about it. If Joseph had never dreamed the dream, he never would have been attacked by his brothers. He never would have been hated. He never would have been sold. If Joseph was never sold to Egypt, then he never would have risen to power in Egypt. And if he had never risen to power in Egypt, he never could have formulated the plan by which Egypt would survive the coming famine by storing up grain. And if Egypt didn't store up grain, then all the neighboring people around Egypt also would have perished in the famine. And among those who certainly 
could have perished, would have been Joseph's own brothers and his father. And if Jacob and the brothers, if that family line had ended, then how would the Messiah, Jesus, of the line of Judah come to be? Right? Had he not been in that place, in that predicament, gone through that pain, then maybe the promise would never have arrived. You see, what everybody saw was evil and wrong. What everyone assumed was a huge mistake on God's part was just God's way of allowing this dream to be accomplished. The brothers said, let's destroy that dream. And they tried to destroy that dream, but actually in the very process of destroying that dream, they enabled the dream to actually come true. That is what we call the providence of God. When God brings about his plan, in ways that just seem totally backwards to us. In fact, it makes me think of Jesus. You know Jesus on the night he was arrested? He said, God, take away this nightmare. God, get me out of this bad dream. But Jesus said, if this is the way it has to be, then your will be done and not my will. See, Jesus saw that nightmare, but he believed that God would turn the darkness of death into the dawn of new life, and he did. So you see, God has a plan. God has a dream for your life, for my life. Sometimes that dream feels more like a nightmare, like a very bad dream. And we would do anything to avoid that place, avoid that predicament, avoid the peril and the pain. Jesus knows what that's like. And if you're going through something like that in your life right now, I really hope as a church, we can surround you and love you and support you as you deal with your pain. But we also need to remember God's providence Sometimes you got to go through the scary place to get to the good place. Sometimes you got to go through the predicament to get to the peace. Sometimes you have to go through the peril to get to the pleasure. And sometimes, sometimes you have to go through the pain to get to the promise. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we hope that you found the sermon inspiring. And if you enjoyed the show today, please take a minute to rate and review our podcast so that we can continue to spread the good news with others. Please come back again next week, and thanks again for listening. Today's sermon was taken from the 1115 service on November 5th, 2023 at Trinity Church Streetsville in Mississauga, Ontario.